0: so just a, a few preliminaries uh, you know my name's Brian I preach at the San Leandro Church of Christ been there for uh, almost 20 years uh, I'm not gay I'm, I'm about as straight as they come and I preach for a church that has a, a pretty traditional uh, view about sex and marriage you know not, not everyone but most of our members believe that homosexual behavior is a sin and that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman but as you know, uh, both our culture and the views of some of our church members are changing about that, and the issues are complicated. It can seem simple, but, uh, but it's not. And what I, I plan to share with you today comes as a result of a 14-week adult Bible class that I taught in church last year. Uh, I thought it was important to teach that class for a number of reasons. Uh, First, our church is in San Leandro, right across the bay from San Francisco, and in the heart of the Bay Area. And uh, I think it's likely that over the last several years we've had LGBT folks visit our church, and we we just didn't know it, uh, and that we are likely to have gay people visit at any time, and so it seemed uh, like a a timely uh, thing to have a conversation about it. Second, I wanted to have this conversation because I have a growing number of friends and acquaintances who are gay. A former professor at the University of Colorado, a handful of friends I met while we were in college together, the principal at my daughter's elementary school, the minister of the Episcopal Church around the corner from our church, until just recently a pair of gay men in the house across the street from me and uh, uh, a pair of lesbian women in the house a couple doors down. So that the number of LGBT folks that I know uh, is growing, and I would guess that the same is true for you. And we, we need to know how to react well to those experiences inside and outside the church. We need to know who we are and what we believe about these complicated things so that we can respond well to people. And, uh, and this is important about responding well. You know, the, the unspoken things that a church believes and then subtly communicates, the sense that you get when you, you know, walk in a church and mingle with people, it has this, this sort of trickle down, trickle through formation effect on everyone in the church. Does that make sense? Right? So let's say that a gay or lesbian couple walks into church one Sunday holding hands if nobody talks to them because you don't know what to say, if we talk behind their back about how they're gay and maybe that's an abomination to the Lord or how culture is now infecting the church and make a little joke or something like that, those, all those words and attitudes communicate things. Uh, and they reinforce a mindset for young people and for other members, a mindset that says you're wrong and you're not welcome, so you should go away and we don't like you or accept you and neither does God. Instead, let's say, uh, a couple walks in, you know, um, um, holding hands one Sunday, and we treat them like we would any other visitor, right? Talk to them, welcome them warmly, invite them back at any time, refuse to talk behind their back in any way. Those words and attitudes communicate things, too, and they reinforce a mindset for our kids and others, a mindset that says we care about you, you are welcome, God loves you, and we accept you, even if we may disagree about some things. So speaking of kids, another reason it's important to have this conversation is uh, our kids. You know, I grew up in a time when I didn't know anyone who was gay. Today things are, are, are much different. Um, uh, my kids grow up with, our kids are growing up with, going to school with, sometimes going to church with people who are LGBT. It's much more commonplace in their world. Plus, many young people, you know, don't think there's anything to that. They'd be much more upset if someone they knew was mistreated for being gay than they would be upset about the fact that a person um, was gay. And and that has a huge implication um, for the church because, you know, young people are more likely to say they don't want anything to do with a church that rejects me because I'm gay or rejects my friends because they're LGBT. And and I don't want my kids or any of our kids to have ill feelings about church or decide that it's not for them uh, because of the way they they think their friends may be treated. So uh, it's important to talk about. Beyond that, I I thought it was important to teach this class because of our our church members. Not only have we had visitors, but I'm pretty confident we've had church members who were um, LGBT and we didn't know it. Uh, it would be really interesting to talk to them and, uh, uh, and ask about their experience, you know, how they feel. Um, I'm going to show my hand a, a bit here. It, it's important for us to um, understand uh, homosexuality in the Bible and church and how those things intersect because regardless of what we may come to believe uh, about all of that, as members of the church, I think we have to respond well to people who come through our church doors. Um, uh, even if it turns out that we, uh, we disagree about um, a number of things related to sex and gender identity, I think the people we di- disagree with must still describe us as people who love them and care about them and listen to them and more. Um, plus as church members we need to know um, what we think and why we think it so that we can be intentional about how we treat uh, people. Um, And about the kind of influences that we have on on other members um, in our church that we interact with But lastly, I think it's important to have this conversation for our own awareness Uh, This whole subject is rapidly changing and it's becoming increasingly complex So uh, two quick examples Uh, the first one is science Um, This subject has moved well beyond who someone is attracted to and who they may want to have sex with uh, it, is, uh, it, it, it is about efforts to explain those things, but it's also about genetics and identity and brain chemistry. It's about formative experiences and society. And science, whether you agree with all of its conclusions or not, is doing a lot to help us understand all kinds of things that fall under the homosexual umbrella. And we need to be aware of those things because it's impossible to have an informed opinion um, if we don't. The second example uh, of complexity is culture, right? Things are changing in the world around us, things f- from what's taught in school to laws that are passed to weddings that we witness and the experiences our family and friends. So if we're going to love people and participate fully in the culture of our day, we need to understand the changing world of LGBT because our gay and lesbian friends do, and you know, we need to be a part of that interaction. So uh, um, uh, those are the preliminaries. Um, If you look at your handout, one of the things you'll see is an outline of my 14-week class, and I want to quickly summarize for you the things uh, that we covered. So in week one, I I asked the question, you know, why have this conversation? It was basically my rationale for the class, and, and we've just covered some of the things that we talked about that first week about m- being able to talk well with our friends and acquaintances and our kids and visitors and members alike at church and, and for our own awareness. Brian, can you do you have any extra handouts? Where do I? Oh, One. I do. No, I meant to give them to somebody at the back. So, Thanks Thank for you. asking. I will hang on a second. Alright, so we too, I I laid out some parameters and commitments as we undertook this conversation. Our parameters helped us to define what we were talking about and what we're not. So we were talking about same-sex attraction and homosexual behavior and the emotional needs and connections that everybody has. We were not talking about sex crimes, for example, so we we, we defined terms. And, And then we talked about the commitments that we brought to class, you know, we're all human beings. We're all sexual beings. We're all sinners. And we we combine those things together with our our love for Jesus as Lord, the Bible as God's authoritative word, and, uh, and the principles of faith laid out in Scripture. And so those parameters and commitments help set some boundaries for our discussion. In weeks 3 through 7, we tackled those passages of Scripture that address homosexuality both directly and indirectly, right? Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis 19, the Prohibitions and the Law of Moses from Leviticus 18 and 20, Paul's statements about nature in Romans 1, Paul's other teaching in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1, and then we talked about marriage and sex from Ephesians 5 and Genesis 1 and 2. And, uh, and in each of these textual studies, instead of telling people what I thought they ought to believe, I did my best to present what LGBT writers would say about these passages, and then what traditional church writers would say uh, about them, uh, and then um, left it for people to decide for themselves which arguments they found um, convincing. In week eight, I I asked the question, is homosexuality the unforgivable sin? Like divorce and remarriage in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the church sometimes elevates something to the status of an unforgivable sin and then treats people that way. Uh, And at the present time, unfortunately, that has often been the case with homosexuality. Uh, week nine we talked about sexual attraction and choice right the classic question is homosexuality a choice that a person makes or is it something biological or something else that they have no choice about and how does sexual attraction work um, so we we took a look at genes and prenatal hormones and brain chemistry and social experience to explain uh... sexual orientation and attraction it was it was kind of our science week <laughs> Uh, weeks 10 and 11, we took a look at the history of homosexuality, its, its presence in people and uh, across time and culture groups. It was a survey beginning about 2000 BC that ran through the, 50, uh, through the 1950s. Uh, Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans, indigenous peoples, and Europeans, then sort of a, a switch of gears to uh, the Inquisition, the Enlightenment, and the Church to British and American science. So it was a lot to cover. But I thought it was important for people to get a larger sense. Um, uh, right? You don't usually see um, those kinds of accounts in history um, as we've studied them. Uh, week 12, I, I presented uh, a book review of Us versus Us by Andrew Marin. Uh, you know, If we believe the story that's out there, right? uh, gay people are atheist or agnostic and don't want anything to do with the church that hates them. And the church thinks gay people are the worst of sinners and are going to hell and don't belong in church and whose efforts to change our culture must be stamped out. Right? Marin says that storyline is fundamentally wrong. Uh, and I found his work to be hopeful. Uh, he, 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 in the title, his first, Us, is The Church, Church-Going People Today. And the second, Us, is The LGBT Community many of whom were raised in church and still want a place in it. Uh, Marin reports the results of a, a study undertaken to explore the connections between the church and LBGT folks, of which there are many, right, more than, than you might think. And interspersed along the way are powerful stories that give a real-life glimpse at the experiences of gay people with church, sometimes good and sometimes not. Uh, I thought it was important for us to see that the relationship between LGBT folks and the church is not as polarizing as it's often portrayed, and it certainly doesn't have to be. Uh, Marin advocates reconciliation through inclusion, where there is listening and learning and conversation. In week 13, we, we talked about homosexuality and personal connections, because we often hear emotionally moving stories about a a gay person's experience and experience with church. And it's like many of the social issues um, of our day. It's one thing to look clinically at Scripture and decide about that. That process gets complicated when you actually develop friendships and listen to stories and hear gay people describe their struggles of faith and a desire to be closer to God, and then it's not so easy to be clinical. Um, Here, with the help of a conversation between uh, Tony Campolo and his wife Peggy, who at the time uh, held opposing views on the Bible's acceptance and non-acceptance of homosexuality, we we explored the role of these emotional connections um, uh, uh, and and the compelling stories that we often hear in both our examination of Scripture and in our response uh, to people. And, and, and this was helpful, you know, because Tony used primarily logical arguments um, uh, toward his conclusion, and Peggy told story after story to make her point, so their presentations were a great contrast. Now, I should point out that sometime after they gave that talk, Tony changed his view about same-sex couples, marriage, and church. But I wanted to, to talk about what influence those emotionally compelling stories should have. And, uh, and, and my, my conclusion when it all came down to it was that uh, um, I think when it comes to the examination of Scripture, they can have no place. Otherwise, the authority of Scripture becomes subject to our experience, whatever that experience might be. But, but I, I also think these emotionally compelling stories have a huge role in how I respond to people. Their stories, like the story of the woman caught in adultery, Call me to a a loving and accepting response like the one that Jesus took. Um, Even though we may disagree about scripture, I'm still committed to loving as I would want to be loved and as Jesus has loved me. Uh, Finally, week 14, we we talked about um, love first, a phrase that I freely admit I stole from Don McLaughlin. Um, but it's, it's sort of my proposed response uh, to our LGBT friends and the, istri- and the issue of homosexuality. And I, I want to sort of camp out here um, as we talk today. Um, but before we get there, let me just say that this, this 14-week class was part study and part conversation. And I wanted to present material that was relevant from scripture, from history, to science, to pressing questions and issues um, uh, related to homosexuality today. Uh, you know, at, at one point, I asked people to write down questions and cards they wanted to talk about or discuss, and so we tried uh, to do that. And uh, and I tried to structure the class so people could make uh, more defo- more informed decisions on on their own. Um, and I think we were able to do that. There was a home overwhelmingly positive response um, to the class. All right, so um, so Love First was the, the, the short title and the theme of our final class. And while I have said that I, I didn't tell anybody what I, uh, I thought they should believe um, about homosexuality, I did tell them what I thought their response uh, to, to gay folks who visit church should be, regardless of what they believe. And I call that response Love First. So if we're going to develop a response to people, anyone, really, the best place to look for a model for that is is Jesus. You know, what did he do and how did he do it? So uh, just a couple of passages um, this morning. First, there was a place where Jesus explained his priorities. It's in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And the, the text simply says this. now, we know that there are an awful lot of commandments in Scripture, and so it's worth our attention that of all the things Jesus could have singled out, he chose love. In essence, he puts love first. Right? Uh, our love for God comes first in our relationship with him, and our love for um, other people comes first in our relationship with them. Those were the priorities Jesus set for us and for himself when he could have prioritized any number. Um, of great spiritual things you know lots of churches are looking for trying to write mission statements these days there's a lot of them out there but they they seldom include love right they're filled with things like worship and service and ministry and discipleship and the cross right they're all great spiritual things but you know love tends to be absent So if your church is looking for a mission statement, I I just want to recommend love first. It's simple and impossible to forget. You can't get mixed up about it. Everyone can do it pretty much anywhere, anytime. And even though Jesus didn't use the word's mission statement, I think that's basically what his greatest commandment is. Love first, both God and people. Uh, And so that passage gets at the priorities of Jesus Um, next we could think maybe about the methods of jesus and to do this we can read about a spontaneous opportunity for ministry that comes up for jesus in luke 19 it's the story we all know about jesus and zacchaeus and so jesus enters jericho was walking through a man was there by the name of zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and wealthy He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Okay, so let's see how Jesus loves first. To begin with, Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus gladly in verse 6. Called him down from the tree, hugged him, declared him, I'm going to your house today. What would happen if our first approach to a, a gay person or a gay couple was to welcome them gladly? Right? Before we asked them anything, before we told them anything about our church or our beliefs, what if we just welcomed them gladly? One of the things that gay people want from church is people who will embrace them, include them because they know what it's like to be moved aside. Uh, second, Jesus loves Zacchaeus by going to his house. He enters his place and spends time with him. Uh, that's what happened when they spent the day together. And I think one of the reasons the rest of the people in the story were upset was that going to someone's house meant something in Jesus' day and culture. It communicated acceptance and friendship, communion, even a shared life. Today we can communicate those same kinds of things, you know, how valuable might it be to a gay person or a gay couple who visited our church to be invited to our house for a meal or out to a restaurant with us to eat together? Right To enter their space can mean to go to their house, but it can also mean to talk, to listen to their story, to spend some time with them without a mission to convert them, right? One of the things gay folks want from church is people who will listen to them, hear their story, talk about the common spiritual journey that we have together the third thing i want us to notice from the is in verse seven that all the people acted like church members often act right they began muttering among themselves they complained that jesus was spending time with the wrong people the knock on jesus was that he spent time with tax collectors and sinners and he welcomed them and, and I imagine that it was a bit shocking to people. I mean, the tax collectors were basically traders serving the Romans at the expense of their fellow Jews, and sinners were, were, were not good old synagogue folks who just made a mistake or two along the way. They were people who had chosen, for one reason or, or another, not to follow the law of Moses or the traditions of the elders. Uh, they had turned away and, and sort of earned their title sinner, so to speak, by the way they lived and no self-respecting follower of God wanted to associate with them. I'm sure they were often made to feel that way by the people who acted the way they did in our story today, right? muttering and condemning. Well, Jesus stands up in the face of all of that and loves first. The point here is that even if we might think LGBT folks are wrong and homosexuality is a sin, that does not mean that we should not love them It doesn't mean that we should act like the muttering people in our story rather than acting like Jesus who welcomes kindly and spends time. Another important thing to see in this passage is that change happens in the midst of relationships. Now, as Luke tells this story, I think it gets telescoped uh, a little bit. When we read it, it sounds like everything happened in two minutes after Zacchaeus got down from the tree. Right, I doubt that. Uh, what we have is likely the telling in a few verses of something that happened over a half a day or more. Right, Jesus and Zacchaeus at the tree. Jesus and Zacchaeus and the people under the tree. Jesus and the apostles, Zacchaeus and his household, and probably some of Zacchaeus' tax-collecting friends, later at the house, maybe for a meal. And during that time, Meal, there was conversation and storytelling and listening and learning about other people's lives. And as a result of all of that, Zacchaeus said, you know, I've been wrong about some things and I want to make that right. In fact, I'll publicly commit to doing that. And so any changes that may come about in a gay person's life and in our own lives too, is going to come in those kinds of important interactions that we only get to have if we have loved first. Change doesn't happen when we're condemning first or we're muttering first or when we make moralistic proclamations, even if our morals might be right. Change only comes in the midst of relationships and relationships that have become meaningful because Uh, meaningful to both parties because they began in a place of love a place of kindness a place of warm welcome and that has grown to a place of trust you know every one of us in church are on a spiritual journey together to move closer to god to be shaped more in the image of jesus to be at work in the kingdom as god calls us And one of the big ways that God brings about that salvation is in church with other believers. Now, was I saved at one point in time when I confessed to the Lord and was baptized in his name? Yes, I was. But I also believe that God is continuing to save me by his grace. And he does that through the relationships that I form and the transformation that he brings about through those relationships. And I've got baggage and problems and stubborn sins and character issues that I need to work out on that salvation road. So do you. So does everyone, right? Um, my issue's not the same as yours, not the same as my LGBT friends. But, you know, we all have them and we're in the process of working those things out with God and with the help of one another so change happens in the midst of those relationships and gay people want to need those changes in their walks with God just like I do just like you do and there's no reason why we can't do that together Uh, that seems to me to be the model of Jesus in Galatians 5 6 Paul writes for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love right seems to me Jesus embraced that very spirit with tax collectors and sinners. Maybe we can adopt it, too, with our gay and lesbian visitors, neighbors, and friends. So if Jesus is our model for loving first, you know, what does that mean? What might that look like? Well, one of the things it means is that before we try to teach people or correct them or judge them or give them advice or define our relationship with them or talk about them with somebody else, before we do anything else, we should just love them. And that starts by welcoming, welcoming them and accepting them and treating them like we would um, anyone else. And if they, you know, come right out and, and tell you that they're gay because they feel it's important to make everything clear up front, there's a simple way to pave a positive way forward, right? And above all, be honest. And if it were me, I can truthfully say that, you know, same-sex relationships are a challenging thing, and we have people who think differently about that in our church, But that, and that generally speaking, you know, we have a traditional stand on sex and marriage, but we're committed to loving people, and this is a place where you will always be welcome and supported. Everyone is here doing their best to move closer to God in life to be more like Jesus. We, we try to help each other do that, and if you came here, there's no reason why you shouldn't be a part of that with us. And if they don't say anything about their sexual orientation, you know, we might use those First Corinthians 13 components of love as a guide for our interaction as the relationship develops, right? Be patient and kind. Protect, trust, and hope. Don't be rude, angry, selfish, or keep score. And treat them like you'd like to be treated if the biggest issue of your life was on display and up for debate. And treat them as Jesus has treated you. Now, if we're, we're going to love first, if we want to be welcoming and accepting, then there are some important things not to do. And first, some things, you know, should be obvious, right? Don't be insulting. Uh, don't talk about gay people going to hell. Don't, don't equate homosexuality with sex crimes, like right? Pedophiles and stalkers and all that kind of... Gay folks are just as repulsed about those things as you are. Hopefully those, those kinds of things are obvious. Um, Second, be careful of the way that you talk about homosexual folks as a group, right? Uh, It's not them or those people, don't call them the gays or uh, similarly uncomplimentary things. It's fine to call them the LGBT community or gay and lesbian folks or my friends. Just do your best to be respectful rather than disparaging. Third, don't draw parallels between other sins and their orientation. Even if you believe homosexuality is a sin, many gay people do not. And so when we say things like, you know, it's like being an alcoholic or, uh, or you know, we know people who have other problems like drug addiction or gambling, right? <laughs> Those parallels are often insulting, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Fourth, be careful what you say or email or tweet or Snapchat when you think no one is listening. <laughs> Alright, I've read countless stories of people in the closet who heard jokes and demeaning remarks about them because the people saying them didn't know who was in the room. The best practice is just to make it your own personal commitment never to say those things about anyone ever. Uh, and it's not about being politically correct in the modern world, it's about being godly and helpful and never letting any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Fifth, don't gossip. Uh, Never betray anything told to you in trust. If you're not sure they told you in confidence, then assume they did until you can confirm it. And lastly, it's important to remember that just because you're in church, you can't assume that everybody thinks like you do. Uh, Even the people you assume will, uh, may not, and so be sensitive. Now, if there are all those things that we uh, we should know um, about how not to act, there are some ways to act that will be helpful. And first, like we said before, be welcoming, uh, accepting, and inclusive, right? Uh, um, in, invite uh, uh, people to share a meal with you and get to know them like you would anyone. Don't be afraid to enter their space, right? Touch them, hug them, go to their house, uh, ask them about their partner and their family. Remember that change happens in the midst of relationships so get to know them and love first second when their sexual orientation comes up ask them to to, to tell you their story right? everyone's life is filled with experiences but there is a story that runs through the center of every life that ties it together that gives it direction and meaning uh, and that holds its most important truths and lies Right? We all grew up learning and believing truths, but we, we grew up learning and believing lies, too, and we have to sort those lies out with the help of God and one another. And so you, know, you might spend some time thinking about your own story and the important markers in that story, right? people, events, places, things that have shaped it. Especially important is the role and work of God in our stories. Um, third, remind them that they are loved, that you are a safe and trustworthy person, and that they can count on you to be there for them. Fourth, don't be afraid of what you believe um, about homosexuality or what your church teaches about it. Just be, be honest. But also know that you don't have to bring that up in your very first conversation. At some point in the relationship, it, it will come up. And when it does, be honest about what you believe. But emphasize that you know the two of you don't have to agree on everything to be friends, or to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if you don't agree with your church's traditional position, you know, you can tell them that, that not everyone here agrees about this and about some other things, too, but we're committed to loving one another and to being there for each other. Now, one of the things that I have learned in this process is that many times, you know, gay and lesbian folks come to church looking for a place to belong much more than for theological agreement. Some people will want theological agreement, and they'll leave if they don't find it, but others can live with the differences of opinion about Scripture if they believe that the church loves them and uh, respects them. Uh, they experience differences of opinion in other arenas of life, and so you know they don't find it surprising that it happens in church, too. What should be surprising is the loving way that they're treated. Fifth, It's okay to apologize for the actions of others. You don't have to spend much time in church to know that not everyone was born with a finely tuned sensitivity meter, right? (laughs) Uh, Some say things they shouldn't before they realize what they've said. And even if your sensitivity meter works well, everyone makes mistakes, and when that happens, it's okay to apologize to someone for what somebody else said or did. Everyone needs forgiveness. Sixth, pray continually for God's guidance. That should be a given and a no-brainer, but you know, we all need reminding. And one last thing before I move on to some technical things I learned from my class um, is this. I think this notion of love first is huge. And it's huge because it's simple, elegant, powerful, and it flows from the heart and the nature of God. It's also huge because we don't have to agree on the particulars of homosexuality to do it. We do have to agree that we're going to love people and then commit ourselves to doing that. But we should be able to move that direction because it is the way we should act toward everyone. And it's the way that we can move in a godly direction, uh, uh, even with our differences. All right, so hopefully you know, you've picked up along the way some of the lessons that I've learned as we've talked so far, how it's important for our friends, visitors, and kids, members, and us, that love first is the way to go, even as we may disagree, and some things to do and some things not to do. But there were other technical sort of lessons I learned that I'd like to share with you as we move toward a close today. So first, if you plan to teach a class like this, and you are not already familiar with the material, you're going to have to read a lot. Uh, Everything from books that deal with Christians' LGBT experiences, to books about the history of homosexuality, to scientific studies, to things like the 2017 National Geographic issue devoted to the idea of gender. You might be surprised how fluid the notion of gender is becoming. Books like Marin's book that I I mentioned earlier. Um, Did you know that also in 2017, an evangelical group of church leaders called the Coalition of Biblical Sexuality issued a document they call the Nashville Statement where they try to articulate their view of a biblical position on sexuality, right? You need to know about those kinds of things. You also need to read books that express LGBT interpretations of passages of Scripture, One of the things I quickly realized was that I had not read enough and that I didn't get a large enough head start reading things. But if you're going to try and get a grasp on history and at least a basic understanding of science uh, and appreciation of the experiences of people with same-sex attraction in church and to look at those LGBT passages of Scripture, you'll need to read. You'll just need to read. Second, and this may be obvious, but as you read a lot, you'll have to read about sex. And you'll have to read and talk about some things about sex that you're probably not accustomed to talking or or reading about. It's the nature of the topic, and it can't be avoided, so just be prepared for that. My third lesson is that it was more work uh, than I thought it would be. Uh, So it'll be more work than you think it will be, too. I hate to say that, but two quick examples, right? So the first comes from week three in our discussion of Sodom and Gomorrah. I thought this won't be hard, I'll present the traditional understanding of the narrative, and I already know that, and after I've read various LGBT analyses of the chapter, I can present that too, and then we'll just talk about it. Well, one of the key things to determine if you want to understand that text is what the real sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is, or was. Was it homosexuality, or was it something else? And to get at that, you have to examine not just Genesis 19, but you have to track down all of those other references to Sodom and Gomorrah and the Bible to see if they tell you anything about the sin uh, that the people of Sodom committed. And given the popularity of that story among biblical writers, it's a lot to do. Right? Uh, a, a lot to do that I realized a little later than I would have liked. But uh, it just meant that I was up late. Um, The the second example comes from history. One of the arguments that LGBT writers make is that the term homosexual is a modern term coined by a German man named Karl Kurt Benny in 1869. And so if your version of the Bible has the word homosexual or homosexuality um, in it, it is an interpretation more than a translation. And some will move on from there to say that the notion of being uh, in a loving, monogamous, uh, committed gay relationship is also a modern thing, not an ancient thing, and that makes it a challenge to compare same-sex relationships today with those of the past. Well, if you're going to investigate that and try to understand these kinds of Um, same-sex relationships and how they may have existed in the past. You have to read books presenting a history of homosexuality, and you have to have at least a basic understanding of world cultures in which to fit those historical accounts. Now, I I knew that was the case. I didn't go into that naively, but I also did not realize that it would be more work than I thought, right? And so there were a few big parts of the world and a couple of significant cultures I chose not to cover because I just couldn't do it. And so there's more work than you think. And this leads to my fourth lesson, which is that you you just won't know a lot of things. It's a complicated issue. I used to think it was primarily about who a person is attracted to and has sex with. And while that's true it's a, a lot bigger than that and so there will just be a lot that you won't know and i think it's best to admit that when it's true you can say you'll look into it if you can but don't try to make it look like you might know something when you don't uh it's it's okay and it's best just to say you know i, I don't know that i don't know that maybe we can find out together um, fifth and simil- similarly uh, you won't have time to cover everything Uh, Admit that too. One of the things I constantly struggled with was how much detail I needed to go into and how much detail I really needed to know. Uh, I'm a guy who likes to cross his T's and dot his I's. I don't want to try to teach something I don't understand, at least to a point at which I'm comfortable um, with it. If people ask questions, I want to be able to answer them if I can. But at the same time, I cannot be an expert or a definitive authority on everything related to gay life. I just can't. And so I had to, and you will too, if you want to teach a class, decide how much information, how much detail is enough to cover something responsibly. Sixth, and this is kind of tough, but you know, we are all familiar with that long-standing adage that history is written by the victors. Right? Well, that's another way of saying that everything is written from a certain perspective. Uh, Writers are biased. When people write summaries, there's usually a slant to them, and it is the degree of slant that determines an author's relative usefulness as a source. If you want to understand the unvarnished position of a certain group, then slant is good. Almost the more slant, the better, right? Um, But if you want um, an unbiased accounting, uh, then slant is not good, and you have to read both sides and do your best to try and figure out where the truth um, lies. And so you, you, you just have to remember those things going in, and that it will sometimes make your job more difficult because you have to discern what you read. And lastly, in an exploratory class like mine, uh, I thought it was a good decision not to tell people what I thought they should believe about homosexuality. Now, you may or may not agree with that. Um, in conversations outside of class, when people ask me what I thought about this or that, I, I would tell them. Uh, I'm also sure that from time to time, even though I tried not to, my bias would leak out in places. Right, Everybody's does. There were a couple of times when at the end of a discussion about something, I, I might I'm share my personal conclusions about that. Uh, you, you may wonder why I chose to, to do it this way, and, and there may be more than one reason, but that the one I am sure about is that I did not want my class to come off heavy-handed. You know, I feel like historically in churches, homosexuality has been dealt with in a heavy-handed manner. Right? This is what you should believe, and if you don't, well, there's the door. And I didn't want to do that, and I didn't want to immediately alienate people in my class that, that may have thought differently than, than, than I do, and so I, I tried to present historical, scientific, cultural um, material as fairly as possible. I, I tried to present those two views of Scripture and once I had done that, to leave room for conversation. I knew that I was there to learn as much as I was there to teach, and I, I wanted to do that. And so those are my more technical lessons, and, uh, and I, I think I'm, I'm just about done. Before I take some questions, we'll, which I'll just admit right now I won't be able to answer and uh, I want to shamefully do w- one thing. Uh, before I came um, to Pepperdine this year, a handful of people said, you know, when you teach that class, people are going to ask you if you have sources and materials. So you should put our class handouts together and sell them for a modest fee. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I told you it was shameless. So this is what it looks like. It's 70 pages. It's not, uh, you know, five bullet points a week. It's pretty exhaustive. If you want that for 10 bucks, there's a woman at the door on the way out, and you can do that um, um, So for whatever that's worth. Um, oh, and if for some reason you don't have anything, my email address is at the top of your handout, and you can uh, you can email me about anything you want. All right, so I apologize for the self-promotion. If you have questions, I will do my best. Yes, sir. Um, have you read the book, Washed and Waiting? Washed and Waiting? Yeah, by Wesley Hill. No, I have not. So let me, I'm, I'm going to have to write, write more stuff down than you're going to have to. I was interested, all the different material you've been reading, if, if you had read that and your kind of your perspective, but anyway, that's one of the ones that I've read, and okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. Can you repeat that comment a little louder? Huh? Well, the. I, the go, go, ahead. go ahead. It's the uh, there's a book I'd asked that he had read. It's by Wesley Hill. It's called Washed and Waiting.
1: This follow-up is called Spiritual Friendship. Yeah.
0: What's the last name Wesley Hill? Hill. Yes, sir. Yeah, why LGBT and not LGBTQ? Um, no, no real reason. Um, it's you know I know that, that that technically it's even longer than that, right? Um, and so um, it's not a slight to uh, a, a anybody um, who who you know considers themselves Q as opposed to something else. It's just shorter and uh, okay. just easier to. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, it's only expediency, nothing else. Yes, sir.
1: Um. I, I think I get what you're saying when you talk about our, our experience not trumping um, scripture. Right. And yet, scripture's cosmology assumes a very different view of the universe than, than we have through experience, right? we have seen the globe. Yes, yep. Um, scripture assumes that the centerpiece, like where all of your thoughts and emotions come from, is your, your guts, you okay. know? When it says heart, it's talking about your bowels. Right. We know that that's your brain and the chemicals and the hormones and everything. So at what point do we draw that line where we say, because otherwise, yeah. you know, we might as well become flat earthers and, sure. and you know, yeah, I just you wonder, make a good I'm, point. I know that that probably sounds a little bit conceited, but yeah. I just, where, where do we draw that line? Yeah, because I, I think that's important when we're having these conversations about about you know uh, gay and lesbian. People.
0: Sure. Yeah, it is. I, I understand your point, point. Um, uh, and it's a good point. Um, it, it's it's hard to know, um, you know, wh- where you do that, and uh, you know, and it may be that. Well, I'm sure that o- over over time, um, uh, the way that I look at scripture and and and, and how um, I interpret that and how uh, it informs my life has changed. Right. I mean, it's completely different than I was when I was. Twenty years old, you know, in the in the Oregon church that I grew up in, and uh, um, um, you know I can thank my education um, for a lot of that, and so there's no doubt that my education will continue, and maybe how I see that you know, further change. I know there are some people who think that your experience ought to inform your um, interpretation uh, of, of Scripture. Um, there's, in some ways, it's impossible for it not to, right? right. Otherwise, people who've lived at different um, sections of history, you know, would look at Scripture just the same, and we know that they don't, um, because their experience has informed their interpretation. So, it's a, I guess it's a little naive to think that it doesn't at all, right? And so, so yeah, you make a good point. Yes, sir? Just a couple of comments one on on that point is that we need to understand that and then understand that other people you know are, are at different places and so we don't exactly we
1: don't have to convince them yeah all the time we have to, yeah. like your point we have to yeah. love them right and and so figuring out you know that for ourselves I mean that's why it says work out your you know, yeah. your own salvation yeah uh, so my other comment was simply, we in Oregon." Oh, where did I grow up in Oregon? In Corvallis. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry,
0: I'm, yeah. I grew up in Eugene. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, we can commiserate. Later. No, the, Corvall- the Corvallis church I grew up in was a great church. It just was a, it's just, a, it's a church of its time, right? And and we all are. So, um, and I, I still, you know, go back there all the time, and I love that place. Um, so, y- yes, Bill.
1: How was the class received by your church?
0: it was received very well um, uh, you know we uh, it, it was it was interesting during the, the the class itself right we you know we had we had people from one end um, not, not not totally to the other but certainly to the other side and there were some interesting conversations um, I think one of the great things about our church was that um, you know when somebody said something that somebody else you know really didn't like or didn't agree with nobody jumped down anybody's throat they, they might go
1: <laughs> you know,
0: because it's, it's you can talk, and I don't have to argue with you about that, right? Um, and when it was time, you know, they would say what they thought, and it was complete, you know, and 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 uh, to their credit, the people on the other side would, you know. So uh, it, yeah, I, I it, it really worked <clears throat> delightfully well, and um, I think um, you know maybe of all the Bible classes I've taught in the last five years or more, um, this got more positive comments. Not so much because the class was wonderful or I was, but just because we talked about it, right? People said, "I'm so happy that we can talk about this." and you know, and I've been. wanting wanted to know about you know, so uh, they were really happy for that opportunity. So you're still the preacher there? Yeah, I'm still.
1: There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: At, at least, at least till I get back and see if there's a pin slip on my desk, right?
1: How, how has it, or has it changed your church family there? Is it different now?
0: That, yeah, that's really a, uh, well. I, um, I, 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 I don't know for sure. That, that's that's really the bottom line. I would hope that you know just by. Um, talking about love first over a series, you know, and trying, I tried to sort of weave that all the way through. It wasn't just, I saved it until the last and sprung it on you, right? So this in one week, this is what we're going to do now. You know, I, I tried to, you know, sort of massage that all the way through so that when it came to the end, it was more of a culmination rather than just a concluding week. And, uh, and so I, I, I hope that those um, kind of, you know, one of the things that we have going for our church is that we're we're we're, we're a very integrated place. We're probably fifty um, percent black, forty percent white, and ten percent Hispanic, Asian, etc. cetera. And so, uh, so we we know a little bit about getting along with people who are different than us, and. And, and how you do that, and, and, you know, I know lots of places describe themselves as a, you know, a family and a welcoming, you know, place. Uh, I, I think more than any place that I've been to, um, uh, our church is like that. I mean, it's impossible for somebody to come in, sit down, go to church, get up and leave and have nobody talk to them. I mean, that's just never going to happen, right? Um, and, and so um, I, I, I think maybe we have uh, at least a step out of the door um, that's a little bit of an advantage down that road. Yes, sir.
1: If an openly gay couple comes into your church and they're welcomed and they become active members of the church, right. and then ask you to marry them in a marriage uh, ceremony, church ceremony, would
0: you do yeah. so? <laughs> uh, let, let, let me just turn up the, 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 the flame so I can go from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't, I, to tell you the truth, I don't know. I've I have I have never done that um, and um, 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 yeah I just I just I, 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 I quite I don't know what I would do yeah um. yes sir
1: I just um, I'm gay and I grew okay. up in the Church of Christ and still actively worship in the Church of Christ and I just wanted to like thank everyone for being here. Um, I find it very encouraging that these conversations are happening. Um, I know that at
0: my
1: church, back home, they're not. Um. But I don't know, I'm just very encouraged by this, regardless of anyone's view, where they are now, or where they will be. Um, yeah, so thank
0: you. No, No. thank you for saying you. so. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so, um, at any point during your class, did did you have, for example, with your elders, a discussion on, I'm in, in, trying to see, does the church have a, an opinion does the church have an opinion right, right. Or yeah. Elders, they, they, was, yeah or should, or should they, they yeah, the yeah should, the, right you can't yeah. say does the church have an opinion but perhaps do the elders have an opinion yeah. that you presented at any point good question the class? yeah so um um how much time? okay uh, so before before i taught this class i went to them to say i want to do this and this is you know kind of what i'm planning on doing and this is the approach i'm going to take and they said that will be fine um, and so I did, and as we worked through, as we got nearer to the end, um, some people in class wanted the elders to come to the final class and sit kind of as a panel so they could, you know, take questions. And so uh, so I went, we, you know, we went to the, the, the elders meeting and said, okay, that, well, so people wanted to know if you'd be do, willing to do this. And they said... <laughs>
1: um,
0: uh, they... I think this is a good answer. Um, uh, Well, you know, I guess you can decide for yourself. They said, we don't think that we need to do that because if people are really willing to adopt this sort of love-first approach to anybody who comes, then we don't really need to come tell you what our deal is. Um, And, um, um, you know, I I, I think... Most, if not all, of our elders have more of a traditional view of sex and marriage. Um, and so, uh, um, but they, they did, I, I don't think they wanted to impose that, right, on anybody else um, either. And so they neglected, neglected, they, they, they elected not, not, not to do the panel thing. And, but they said, you can tell people this for us. And so I, I went to class the last week and said, hey, this is the deal. So, let's go here, and then I'll pick up to you.
1: Um, Brian, as, yeah. as an elder with a gay son, I'm I'm going to thank you for walking into this space mm-hmm. and presenting what you presented, because mm-hmm. it's very difficult. It's a very difficult conversation to have. And I really appreciate your humility to Scripture and how you approached, I just, there are things I don't know. Please, Spirit, talk into me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very good posture.
0: Well, yeah. no, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yes, I
1: just wanted to... Basically, say the same thing, in I'm an elder in our eldership. Mm-hmm.
0: We have leaders that have uh, homosexual children. Children, yeah, sure. And um, yeah. you know, this is a conversation that
1: I think we need to have, and we need to teach on, and encourage people to talk
0: about. And um, and I just wanna I want to thank you for doing this class, and I, I appreciate it, and I I've, I've learned some things and some things that are helpful that uh, I think uh, I want to my wife and I we want to we really we want to take this and, and really and empower the church in, in the right way yeah. so uh, thank you